Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants. Covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts, Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Wise Up. Today we're joined by Jorg Schmiel. Jorg is the Executive Chairman of Juwai IQI, one of the largest end-to-end property marketplaces in Asia, with more than 12,000 sales agents. He is also Chairman of ICAR Asia, ASXICQ, the number one online automotive marketplace for Southeast Asia, and non-executive director of Centerpoint Alliance, ASXCAF, a leading wealth management network across Australia, as well as PropTech Group, to be listed soon. Jorg was previously Managing Director, CEO of the iProperty Group, ASX IPP, before it was sold to REA Group for over Australian $750 million. Non-Executive Director of Mitchell Group, ASX MUA, and earlier Managing Director, CEO of LJ Hooker Group, with 700 offices across 10 countries. Impressive, Jorg. Jorg also held the position of CFO at REA Group, ASX REA. Jorg has over 25 years of experience in growth business, especially in the real estate and online industry. Jorg is the recipient of the Asia Pacific Entrepreneurship Award in 2016 and the Top Outstanding Leaders Asia Award in 2015. Jorg is a CPA USA, member of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, Fellow of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and holds an MBA in SEED and a a computer science degree, TU Munich. Welcome, Jorg. Thank you. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit. Yes, no, thank you for joining us today from um, the other side of the world. So tell us a little bit about Jorg. Uh, Thank you. I mean, you have uh, uh, given a very, very comprehensive. Uh, a summary of 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 my past that uh, you've made me sound really really uh, uh, special in whatever I mean. In the the reality is this uh, that uh, I mean I've always had a, a great passion for for computers and for for online. So I I studied uh, uh, computer science at uh, TO Munich and. Um, and uh, I really, really enjoyed using computers to make things better or easier. Uh, and uh, on the other side, I always had a, a straight affinity uh, to property. And that's that's how my whole uh, career uh, shaped up. And uh, um, at some point in time in my career, I had to make the choice between do I work with large companies, you know, large corporations, not saying that some of them I've worked for aren't large or more companies with uh, a startup uh, type of culture, like small, fast-growing companies uh, and the likes. And, and and pretty much for the last at least uh, 15 to, to 15 years, I, I, I was able to work in, in, in this field. This is a field where I really, really enjoy working. So what are the biggest um, challenges that you see in that space, Jörg? Um, so the biggest challenges in the in the startup phase is uh, that uh, companies are always, you know, um, very very focused on 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 uh, on growth, and uh, uh, there are different types of companies uh, or, uh, and and uh, there are approaches uh, which vary. So you have those companies um, who are very good in selling a growth story, but probably when you look behind, 
behind the curtain, uh, the, the, the whole business model doesn't make sense. And then you have those companies uh, who have developed a really, really good business model. But for them, it takes a bit of time for the market to fully understand their business model because often these companies are actually really changing the way business is done and the market, the industry, takes some time to really fully comprehend uh, a new way, a new approach. Tell us a little bit about ICAR and what ICAR do, yeah. Georg. Yes. So ICAR Asia is a, is a marketplace. So what, uh, it's kind of a car sales for Southeast Asia. Now, Southeast Asia or the ASEAN countries are actually one of the largest automotive markets in the world. So they're soon uh, number four on a global scale behind China, US and uh, Europe. And um, when you look at that, there's 600 million people there. And um, the the core markets, which make up 80% of those uh, of, of, of this large, large market is Malaysia, Indonesia and Thailand. And uh, these are the markets uh, where we are focused on and where we are also leading. So we run a used car uh, portal, but we also work in the new car space. Used and new are slightly different uh, markets, maybe not so much from a consumer perspective, uh, but from one is is dealing more with business to business type of uh, customers. And in the other one, you're dealing with individuals who are selling their cars. That's the the used car space. It's uh, very interesting because um, they are, um, we, are in, we have implemented a lot of platform and structure uh, and so on into these markets. Uh, so different to, uh, let's say, an, an Australian market, the whole culture and uh, business culture is very much based on, on, on a mobile phone. So what we have created is we've created a platform for all car dealers and car professionals to really manage their stock, to uh, upload uh, their listing to take photos, to research on data, et cetera, et cetera, all on, on, on the mobile phone and uh, to the same sophistication level as you would find it in a, uh, a different market such as Australia or in, 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 in Europe. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, markets like uh, the ASEAN uh, markets have a great potential uh, to adopt the next wave of technology and thereby leapfrog other markets. And that's what we are really saying in this market. So that's definitely a growth company. Most of the income is from uh, online advertising. And we are seeing now, what we are seeing also in other industries, uh, that online advertising by itself is not sufficient. So the generation of leads from inquiries is not sufficient. And now it's about uh, really how to convert those leads into transactions in delivering results. If you go to a, if you upload your car on, let's say, a car sales or an iCar Asia, you don't want a lead because a lead doesn't really help. You want your car sold, and people are, are more and more asking for those for those outcomes. Now, COVID obviously made that even more uh, an online uh, industry and, and opened up uh, a couple of new uh, opportunities, but also uh, gave a couple of challenges uh, to our to our business. So in um, these sort of uh, international markets that are experiencing potentially quite fast growth, um, Jorg, what are the sort of, um, I guess, challenges that you see for them? Um, Obviously, if you grow fast, it's very important that the whole, I should say, governance system growth with a company. I mean, that's true for any country, not just for uh, the Southeast Asian country, wherever there's fast growth. 
like the rest of the organization has to keep up. Because I mean, initially, you know, it's easy. It's you can double or triple or quadruple, but eventually you come to a point where you need to have also a step change in your in your infrastructure in your platform. And what is really really important is that you always invest sufficient amount of time, energy, and also funds into building a strong uh, platform uh, for 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 the for the growth uh, uh, business. So I would say, if you think about uh, what is this growth platform really in. In, 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 in growth companies. It's a combination of uh, the right people and uh, incentive structure. Uh, it is a clarity on the direction of the company. It is, it's also the culture, the entrepreneurial culture, uh, value system, but also technology, uh, the backbone of technology. And, and with those, you can manage growth because obviously uh, there is no uh, uh, return without any risk uh, and 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 therefore if you if you grow faster if you have faster return the risk also increases so tell us a little bit a little bit about um, international expansion and um, how companies in Australia might um, look to uh, maximize on Asian markets yes I think the first uh, number one step is really as a company, to be absolutely clear what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, I know it sounds very, very basic, but you have to have an absolutely clear vision for your business. And that's not like I want to grow my revenues by number two or, or every every year, double every year, uh, my revenues. It's, it's really about what is it you're aiming to achieve? How are you making a difference? Once you've worked that out, then and only then are you able, when you go into other markets to work out, does this really apply to these markets? And I think one of the first flaws or learnings, uh, which many companies, including Australian companies, make when they come to a new country, and especially also uh, Asian markets, is that a copy-paste approach of I take the model which I have in Australia and I adopt it to the Asian markets uh, doesn't simply work as well. And one example probably is is is, is the business I'm, I'm well, actually a few businesses I'm involved in. They started off being copies of REA. I came in after the copy paste was, was, was done. And initially, you know, the business was growing, but the markets are different. The property markets are different. The money flows are different. Uh, the, the budgets are, are different. There's no vendor paid advertising. There's a strong, I give you a few examples, stronger focus in Asia, for example, on new properties, whereas in Australia, secondary gets most of the advertising spend. And if you just copy paste, you don't get there. So work out your vision, be absolutely clear on your vision, and then go into the country and also not just tell, but also listen. So the assumption that education levels in Western world versus Asian worlds are in favor of the Western world are no longer uh, true. So uh, there's a lot of talent in our markets and the advantage of the talent in the Asian markets is uh, that they master a broad range of languages. They are very culturally uh, ingrained. I'm not saying there's no room for overseas for, for like foreigners like myself or expats, um, but uh, the whole old expat structure is coming a bit to an end. Uh, so, I mean, I'm a, a, a local employed uh, a person. I'm not... How's the property market faring in Malaysia at the moment, Georg? 
Um, property market is 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 holding up okay in Malaysia. I would say uh, it's 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 growing. I mean the same. I would say the same principles apply to any property market. When you hear about property market saying, look, uh, how is the Australian property market? Is it up or down and so on? And you get the averages like 5% down or 1% down and so on. It's not really that meaningful because if you draw an average across the whole country or of Malaysia or Australia, um, you, you, you don't get the real, uh, uh, the real message because the real message is, is very much based on the old concept of property location, location, location. So there are certain areas in Australia, in Malaysia, in every global real estate market, which uh, progress really, really well. And then there are other uh, areas uh, which don't uh, progress uh, so well. And it's often linked not just to the uh, economy, but it's also linked to other other things, the quality of the developer, uh, you know, supply, demand, uh, imbalance in, in, in certain areas. In general, uh, what we are seeing in Southeast Asia and across all of Southeast Asia, that one of the outcomes of uh, also the trade war was a stronger focus of uh, like Chinese investments and also Asian investments on the Southeast Asian market because of the large population and also because of the low cost um, labor costs. And uh, uh, so to, and, and property prices are also uh, uh, relatively uh, lower. And, and as a result of that, um, certain Asian markets have really, really benefited in Southeast Asian market among those Thailand and now uh, even more uh, Vietnam and Malaysia. Uh, and but but you also have a, a growth uh, at the moment in places like Singapore, which benefits from the Hong Kong situation, or uh, uh, Cambodia, which is more uh, you know for, due to the investment into Laos and, and, and Cambodia. The Philippines are, are are growing. So I would say the number one determining factor is is obviously the GDP growth. And while at the moment due to COVID, most countries have a, a negative uh, growth rate. Uh, the, the recovery uh, will be very, very strong across uh, our markets. And uh, as a result of that, the property markets will also will also bounce back. And um, with, um, I guess, managing multi-country um, organisations, you've got uh, jurisdictional issues, you've got language barriers, cultural issues. Mm-hmm. How do you manage through some of those things, Jörg? Yes, uh, I think... Uh, the- You've, you've uh, uh, nailed it. It's, this is really a, a quite a difficult one. It's it's less on the cultural side, but it's 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 really on you know knowing the local laws of property, knowing the local laws of uh, um, you know employment laws, etc., etc., etc. I mean, and there's no easy answer. I mean, there's 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 ways to simplify uh, things. Like for example, if you if you deal with payroll across uh, a number of uh, different countries, they actually providers who take this off. Uh, your your your, your uh, books and pro, uh, process it for you and make sure all the boxes are, are ticked. In our case, the number of countries is fairly limited. It's only 15 countries, and uh, so we are managing our ourselves. Um, um, when it comes to the property uh, area, I mean, we've got in every country obviously uh, uh, strong local teams uh, who know who know who know the uh, the business and so on. And then on the other side, it puts a bit of focus also and and um, on 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 the board and uh, the management team to really be across uh, such things. So 
uh, lifelong learning is 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 not just a buzzword. So you have to always uh, improve <laughs> your, your your learnings. I mean, there's some some areas which are really difficult. For example, signing contracts when they're in a different language and also a different writing, uh, like Chinese or Thai and um, again, technology helps because what you can do is you can upload it and get it auto-translated. It's not perfect, but it at least gives you comfort. Uh, obviously, you also um, uh, intelligent staff and, 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 and supportive staff can help you. But if you want to be absolutely sure, I mean, and for certain important contracts, I would, I would really suggest it, use those tools because uh, there is no, no other way or use uh, external advisors uh, to help you there. When it comes to managing uh, the company and, 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 and so on, it comes back to first and foremost, you need to be absolutely clear what you're trying to achieve. And across the markets uh, of Asia, the whole area of the vision and what you're really trying to achieve is very, very important, even more important than in the Australian market. So whenever we do an investor presentation to Asian uh, investors, the vision statement is at the start. That's not a revenue or an EBITDA type of statement. It's really about how are we going to change and make a difference? How, what are, what's our long-term view? You know, it's empowering people across ASEAN to have full information when they make a purchasing decision uh, for, a, for a car or a property. It's, 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 it's these things, and, 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 and that's really, really important. The second bit is then there's a lot of technology available, and we're using one of them, which we have been using in, 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 in these uh, two Asian businesses of iCar Asia as well as Chubai for a long time now, which is Zoom. So for most of the time, we interact on, 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 on Zoom. It was, I mean, initially it was a bit uh, a, a change for me because I was used, you know, I only believed in when you're there, can you really be there? But, but uh, you, you, what we've done is we've changed a bit the meeting structure, uh, the, the, the whole, whole process, and we ensured also uh, regular visits of, 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 of key execs or other uh, important people and thereby maintained the culture, uh, you know, the uh, cohesion of, of the culture. And uh, uh, that's really, really important uh, uh, as well. How have your Zoom board meetings been going? Pardon? How have Sorry, your Zoom How have your Zoom board meetings been going? Ah, they're going extremely well. I mean, honestly, in in hindsight, I personally think uh, we would all make a massive difference, even for domestic companies, uh, to 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 move at least half of our board meetings to Zoom board meetings because a you can really share a screen and everybody can see it, especially when you get older like myself. You know, it's, it's easier. Nobody prints any more uh, uh, documents. It's really, really good. Um, I honestly think uh, uh, in particular uh, places, things like AGMs are far more accessible uh, to people. Uh, I mean, if you think of, uh, of, of, of the shareholder basis, which are not just of, of many companies, not just in Australia, you have also New Zealand, you have other uh, uh, shareholders on your register. If you move it to Zoom, you get far more participation. So we had a we had our first uh, ICAR Asia uh, AGM, obviously due to COVID online. But I honestly think uh, we want to do more of those because it's much 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 better. I mean, AGMs in the past, especially for companies like ourselves, was usually like I mean, you get if you're lucky, you get thirty people in a room, and it's a fairly 
uneventful piece, to be honest. And uh, you can actually create far more vibe and be closer to the shareholders. I mean, uh, when, when, when you are uh, in, 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 in a Zoom uh, environment. Yeah, I think too, and um, I guess one of the challenges for a lot of companies at the moment is making sure their constitutions allow for virtual or hybrid AGMs. Yes, um, uh, so yeah, in our case it does, it does, but but uh, it's a very important point, uh, but I think it's a change which is definitely worthwhile mm. making. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, when you were talking just before, Jorg, um, you're bringing back nightmares for me in terms of um, I've worked for a long time in a global company and um, they were in 20 countries and, you know, we yes. had challenges of um, it was an ASX-listed environment and we had to make sure that we were getting um, certain policies translated into local languages and um, it wasn't until some of those policies needed to be relied on that when we got the um, local translations back into their language, so we got them translated uh, from English, so example global code of conduct, global whistleblower policy. We got them translated into local languages. And then when they needed to be relied on in that local jurisdiction, it came back that it was translated as um, blows whistles as opposed to a whistleblower. <laughs> um, so. I, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. There's, there's, there's a couple of interesting companies who use AI, you know, who have all the, 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 the law of different countries uh, stored and they're able to help, to help. And this is also how AI should be used. You, we are not at a stage yet, and maybe never, where we can 100% rely on it. It helps. Yes. It helps the, 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 the legal professional. And uh, if it, it, it can compare contracts, I mean, contract comparers of versions and so on is not a very, very, uh, how should I say, elegant, uh, and it's a very draining task. And if you use technology... It's so much better and so much easier and also so much safer. So um, dealing with technology, uh, it's your um, space, Jorg, and um, disruption in the technology space at present, are you finding that there's been an acceleration of um, digital transformation as a result of COVID or what are you seeing in yes. your space? I, I definitely uh, do believe that. And, I mean, when you read up in, in terms of, the history of the pandemics of the world, it's not a very uh, uplifting uh, type of uh, uh, topic, but every pandemic changed something in, in, in the society and in the culture as well as in the technology. And this one clearly uh, put forward online education, online health, and uh, all the other, and, and the whole e-commerce like uh, home delivery of food and, and other services uh, as well as the board meetings, which we've mentioned, and the AGMs and so on and so forth. I mean, it was possible to do it before, but now it happens. And that's probably the first key thing when thinking of technologies. We could have done AGMs before, like a year ago. The Zoom was, 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 was existing, but we didn't do it. So if you start a company, if, you're, if you want to disrupt something, it's also a question of timing, and it's really about is it making a big difference and how does it get adopted faster? And, and COVID doesn't sound right, but kind of helped in this, uh, in this way in the online adaption. And also COVID made also people more aware of uh, the services which are, which are available online when it comes to uh, eye health, the whole area of health, mental health, 
physical health and so on, and how uh, computers can help in, 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 in this field. So for me, disruption maybe is, maybe let's define disruption is, is not uh, a way to make a lot of money, but disruption is there to solve problems in the real world. That's the real disruption. And if you define disruption as let's throw some new technology on, on, on things and see what's happening, it might work, it might not work, but you have to really think about what are you going to try to achieve? If you take REAs, realestate.com.au, the number one p- uh, reason why it was uh, such a success is because there were newspapers. Newspapers are highly inefficient to search. I mean, you can't compare, you know, like it's only a subset of the total market in a newspaper, otherwise they would be that thick. Um, and online allows allowed for the first time to really give full transparency and uh generate more and 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 better better leads and and balance the bit the power in in the industry that is real disruption that is real disruption what is not disruption are companies like weworks or others uh, which kind of try to to play a bit the accounting standards and a couple of other things and to uh, convert uh, large uh, long-term uh, leases into smaller short-term leases i mean the only outcome of all of that was changes to the to the lease standards and uh, and 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 uh, a lot of people who probably lost a bit uh, the belief in 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 the technology and the disruptive uh, uh, community. But honestly, it really makes a difference. It's also differentiating between countries. So if you if you take uh, a Western, let's say European or Australian approach, um, technology is not unconditionally embraced. The first thing which comes to mind, particularly in countries like let's say Germany, where I'm originally from is fear. So technology is there's something stored about myself, what will happen with the data, et cetera, et cetera. When you take an Asian approach, it's about opportunity. It's about how can this help me in doing things I wasn't able to do before. How do I, and this is not just online technology, how do I get access to medication? How do I how am I able to, to follow a job when I'm quite remotely based? I mean, if you think of those countries, you've got 7,000 islands in Philippines. You've got 17,000 in Indonesia. I mean, logistically, a nightmare. So the only way you can do it is, is by kind of disrupting how you interact in these markets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to ask yeah. a question. Jörg, um, so you sit on quite a few boards obviously in Asia and in Australia. In terms of diversity, what sort of differences do you see across the different cultures? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's varying levels of, uh, of, uh, of, of diversity. I mean, one is obviously uh, the gender uh, point. If you take a company like Chuba IQI, we've got, uh, uh, as you mentioned earlier, around 12,000 total people, 77% are female. And uh, across our markets, what we are doing is we are, we are really, I mean, especially in property, property is a fairly uh, like uh, equal opportunity type of uh, uh, industry because if you sell, you sell, and it doesn't matter if what gender uh, you have. So from that perspective, it allows, there's no difference in pay or any other other things. It allows to, to really equalize or empower across a large uh, number of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of countries. On our board in, in Chubai, we have two female and four 
uh, male uh, directors. When it comes to other areas of diversity, you have um, uh, like from, from, from cultures or, or countries or capabilities and other things. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fair mix. I think we represent three or four different continents on that, uh, on that uh, board and so on. To me, it's very important. What is so important about diversity is about learning from different cultures, different approaches, and so on, and bringing you know the combined power together, which is ultimately the the, the power of of teams and so on. That you know you follow a common purpose, but you bring all your different capabilities together. And having young people like yourself on boards too. Sorry, young people. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably one of the, the, the oldest one in Asia. But but this is actually a very important point because I often hear I'm too old for technology and so on. Technology, which really disrupts, really solves problems in the real world, is actually making life easier for all sorts of people, even people who are older than fifty. I think too, it's just around having diversity of thinking and um, having those sort of um, respectful challenges within the boardroom that actually strengthen proposals and um, strengthen new ideas and yes, just yes. Um, really kind of uh, challenge thinking and um, get back to the ultimate why for the organisation. Yes. Um, the ultimate why is the essence. You are absolutely right. The ultimate why. And it sounds so easy. But I would encourage everyone in any company to take a step back and say, why? What is our ultimate purpose? What are we trying to achieve? I think it's really easy for entrepreneurs and startups because they are so wedded to the vision initially. And I think it gets lost in the journey when, you know, companies change hands, companies might yes. embark on IPOs or any of those other sorts of changes. And I think um, the ultimate why does get lost along that journey. That's absolutely true. And, and, and to a certain extent, um, obviously companies which are, which are well run and well thought through sometimes also suffer from peers, which, which do the opposite. I mean, um, I mean, there's, there's at the moment, uh, obviously a, a strong focus on profitability uh, in, in, on the ASX. Uh, so you need to be really profitable to be taken fully serious. Um, I think, uh, I think the number one thing companies need to focus on the incremental profitability. So how much does the incremental dollar drop to the bottom line? That should be the ultimate thing. And there's a lot of companies who actually have a negative one or like, I mean, they, 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 the extra dollar costs at least another dollar or more. And, and, and these are the companies where you really need to think, why is that? Why is that? And, it, and this could be companies which are quite famous, you mm. know, like some famous companies when you think who are big disruptors of transportation or who are big disruptor of also of video streaming. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, often you don't see it. The number one thing I would encourage everyone to do is go to the cash flow statement because cash flow doesn't lie. And um, cash flow gives you the true picture of a company performance. Mm, and I think too, at the moment, cash flows are, you know, a hot topic of conversation. Their um, business models are constrained. Um, the spotlight's been put yes. on cash flows as a result of maybe um, restrictions on 
OPEX and CAPEX and all of the like um, and just a reprioritization of strategic objectives and I think um, that dollar is going to take companies a lot further because they have to be um, wiser with it. That's right. That's absolutely right. And, uh, I mean, if you put yourself in an investor, uh, sure, I mean, if you look at all these uh, half-yearly and annual uh, reports uh, which are being published and all the requirements which have to be published, which is there's a, a general issue I have with, with all most of the financial reports that they're all historic, meaning if you look at a balance sheet, it's pretty much a presence or uh, early past type of statement. It's not anything future-oriented. Yes, there's receivables and payables, but that's pretty much all there is when you look into the into the future, but it's they are only associated with things in most cases uh, which have already happened. You know, it's, a, it's just that the money hasn't arrived yet or hasn't been paid. But what I would really like is I would really like forward-looking information. That's really missing. If you think of the average ball pack, it's all historic information, and it comes usually after a month, like on average or four, two weeks, and by that time, you can't really, res- when you start to respond, you're already two weeks, two months too late. Mm. I think and too. Um, that's business- missing. Yeah, and um, businesses only might look at their strategy, budget and ops plan once, once a, a year. year. Yes, that's the other thing. The other thing, I mean, this is, this is now me, uh, uh, like uh, having worked as a CFO and whatever, these this annual budgets, uh, I'm absolutely no fan of annual budgets. I think an annual budget is good to have but you should also have kind of an idea where you might be in two, three, four, five years. I'm not saying this this needs to be firm, but why is it exactly 12 months? Now, we all know because we are living in a world which has defined a year as a year and therefore everything else needs to center around that. But the way I would do it is I would actually constantly update it and, 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 and kind of push it. Like I'm a big believer in a rolling budget mm. because – uh, if you do annual, if you compare this the next year with the last year, you make all sorts of incorrect decisions or because there are certain things which happened in the past which no longer exist or you've just hired people at the last month and they're not fully reflected in there, but they hit you fully in, 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 in the next month. So what I'm saying is if you're actually looking at the presence rather than the last 12 months and work out how is this present going to change over the next one to two to three months? And you do this on a regular basis. And in parallel to that, you have like almost like a, a cash flow budget for the next uh, 12 months out into the future. You can get a lot of information. You need to update that uh, uh, much more regularly. And that's a bit missing because a profit in a company might not say anything about the the way a company is really performing. And I think too in the financial services sector, Georg, as you know, you went through a Royal Commission, you go through COVID, they're quite, um, yes. have a huge impact. There's a, there's, there's, there's a huge impact. And what's also missing is if you, if you look into the future, I mean, companies, some companies have nice subscription agreements, you know, like nice because they are kind of guaranteed into the future. So subscriptions, uh, 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 other things need to be really, really understood better and also 
the nature of a business, what you're doing in a business and so on, sometimes don't get fully reflected in the way it's being described in a director's report, which sometimes is a bit stale and not really targeted at the investors. It's just, you know, filling in the, the gaps. And that's, I think there's so much more we could be doing in terms of explaining. I mean, how many companies explain in the director's report what they're actually going to try to achieve? Mm. There's the sort of the I operational mean, review say, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a bit yeah, wishy-washy yeah. and unless they've got and, earnings and, guidance or things like that, it's difficult. And even those are being pulled at the moment. Yes, but, but if earnings guidance is not a vision. It's not a vision. I'm talking really about, okay, we're here to replace newspapers or we're here to do this or we are here to deliver you in a video uh, on a, whenever you like it, any video, or we're here to allow you to compare property investments on a global scale across multiple countries. And you don't have to deal with these individual agencies anymore, you know, and you have full transparency. You can compare uh, or you find additional information which you really need to invest in this. Can you really invest in these countries and so on? I mean, if you, if you think back, uh, I mean, of, uh, of, of, of uh, even Chuba uh, in the past, I mean, the first strategy was secondary market or established property focused. You know, like, as I say, copy-paste an REA. But the problem is nobody from overseas can actually, or hardly anyone can purchase existing properties in a country like Australia. They can invest in new properties, but not in existing ones. So, I mean, why even put them up, you know, from, 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 from that angle? And uh, it's, it's, it's these things. It's really coming back to the question of what are you going, trying to achieve? And once you know that, you need to inform your investors. You need to inform your staff also. I mean, so many companies, I mean, if you think of the value statements, which company, some companies do, you know, you go in and all the walls are full of value statements. We are the best. We are the most entrepreneurial and we reward this and that and that. And we all know that uh, reality is then often completely different. In the end, in the end, value statements don't belong on the walls. Value statements need to be lived and experienced by staff. That is fundamentally important. Uh, so once staff believe and see, only then can they really, can you really talk there's a culture. Because most of these value pieces is you pick a few staff and you say, what are we good for and whatever, and then you push it down in many, many sections, sessions, you know, and then you have these big round tables and speak up and some people never speak up because, I mean, why would you speak up? You only get <laughs> punished later if you speak up. So, now, I mean, this is the reality and this is the essence of also probably behind a lot of these challenges which we are finding and breakdowns of controls is, 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 is the value system and the culture being out of sync and, and, and people just doing their thing as they've always done. So as Nobody's a, switching their brains on. Yeah. As the CEO of LJ Hooker for quite some time and the CEO of iProperty Group, um, you would be well-versed in values and culture. How would you overcome some of those challenges and how would you create um, a really yes. rewarding culture? I mean, I really did what I said in iProperty. So I came up uh, in iProperty uh, to, to Kuala Lumpur. iProperty was operating across four, five countries, you know, uh, um, uh, Asian countries uh, up to Hong Kong and so on and so forth. And I looked at it everywhere where these values on the on the wall and I removed them. And I said, look, our values are people and we are great in people. We are great in innovation. We are doing this, this, this. 
And then I put them on a, on a paper and I really made sure people started to believe it. So, so we did specific activities to show the innovation. So we were the first ones with chatbots, with drones, with this, with this, with this. And we didn't rub it into the employees said, look how great we are. They started to believe it. They started to see it and they started to innovate. Then I said, okay, from now on, we really earn the right to say we are innovative. And, and the other ones as well. I mean, people, it's not just about financial remuneration. And it's not just about uh, nice offsites and other things. It's really about the daily job. I mean, you don't work at a company to have funny offsites or take away a lot of money only. You work at a company because you really, I mean, it's the, it's the place where you spend most of your time to have fun, to have, to feel fulfilled. And I mean, you spend more time in companies than you spend at home. And think about the selection process some people go through uh, when they, you know, pick their family environment or build their family and the decisions. But in a job, I mean, sometimes we sit there and and just, you know, uh, consume it and so on. I mean, look at yourself. You've created, you're entrepreneurs. You've created something really, really amazing. And, 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 And that's, you're having fun at doing it. I, for the last probably 15 years, which were of my career, the years where I no longer uh, felt like um, I'm, 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 I have to work for people I, I, I don't really respect so much and so on. The last 15 years, I never looked at my watch. In fact, I don't have any uh, a watch on, on, on my hands because the day goes very, very fast. And uh, when the day goes fast, then you're having really fun. You're making a difference. Yeah, every day we get to the end of the day and go, oh, how's it five o'clock already? Yes, I know, I know. Have you, I mean, I'm sure you had a situation where you said, oh, God, why does it have to be 4.30 already? Could it be a bit, we just you forget, know? Forget yeah. to eat. Yeah. yeah, we do forget to eat. Well, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> no, that's really good, Jorg. And I think, too, um, some of the biggest challenges for organisations with poor culture is how do you make those employees feel really valued? And sometimes it's as simple as thanking somebody for their hard efforts or giving somebody the recognition that they deserve for doing a great job. And, you know, instead of, um, you know, constantly expecting more of the people who constantly deliver um, and not actually calling out poor behaviours of people who don't necessarily deliver and the people who are over delivering are kind of carrying the weight for the whole team and letting them have a voice too yes you have to give people a voice that's right so for example um in uh in chuba iki what we have is we're using wechat because we're interacting a lot also with china where uh, half of our people are and so we've got one big group chat, which is called family group chat. That's for all people in corporate. That's roughly 200 people. And literally every day starts with somebody uh, thinks it's, it's, it's empowering to have a, a good quote at the start of the day. So, so it's a self-developing uh, thing. So we also have strategy updates. So we, we, we reiterate, you know, what is the strategy in small sound bites. We have fun facts every Friday. We, we, we aim to really have fun and it's getting funnier and funnier because there's a lot of creative energy there. So, and thereby you create a new type of uh, culture. What these systems and processes do 
or these technology systems do, they actually put everyone on the same level. So when I joined uh, iProperty, um, I noticed obviously that, uh, especially across uh, Asian countries, there's a lot of hierarchy and, and people who don't report to you directly don't really want to talk to you like because they're afraid uh, of, of going around their, their boss. And uh, so the first thing we did is, or the fir- one of the help, uh, helping uh, tools was we implemented selfies. So we implemented a selfie culture. So at every point in time, we did selfies, you know, with clients, with everything and whatever. And one of the things on the selfies, everybody is equal on a selfie. Same with the Zoom calls. If everybody has a little box like the Brady Bunch, nobody gets a bigger box. Everybody's in one <laughs> box. And it really, really, there's, there's, there's research also for schools that some children perform better because they are, you know, they feel a bit more empowered because they're now in a equal box to the, to the bullies and the bullies can't really, I'm not <laughs> saying this is the future that we only interact online. I think physical interaction is very important, but what I'm saying is technology also helps overcome a few of these things. And honestly, this selfie culture took the whole real estate industry of Southeast Asia. Uh, by Obviously, I mean, these are markets which are very much selfie countries, but in property, that's new. So it's, it's, it's become a standard Come up and have a look at <laughs> a selfie. So how are you finding the challenge with China at the moment? Because obviously they went through um, COVID a lot earlier than the rest of the world. They're probably now emerging out the other side earlier than the rest of the world. And how are you kind of managing um, the staggered um, phases? Yes, yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we started uh, having a lockdown of our office, like a complete lockdown for... Uh, four weeks in uh, February in, 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 in China. What it also did is it, it prepared ourselves a bit for what was to come because then Southeast Asia was next and then the other parts uh, of, 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 of the world. And, I mean, there's, Hong Kong was kind of shielded a bit uh, that they weren't that impacted the first time, but it seems to, 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 to happen now uh, a, a bit more. Well, I mean, it is – it's uh, – it's definitely uh, a challenge. Um, it helped us in our company to really get online fast. So when it hit, uh, we didn't get much warning. We got a few days of warning that uh, uh, serious restrictions were being put in place, uh, in particular also in Malaysia, where most of our uh, head office is, is, is now located. And we had to very quickly move the whole finance, everything, into an environment where home office work was possible. And we mastered it at the same time. I mean, all our uh, agents using an app. So we, we added to it uh, virtual tour capabilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, we're continually advancing it, like with, you know, uh, online signatures, um, uh, payment uh, platforms, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a challenge, but we were able to process during COVID and our business has actually grown in the first half uh, um, uh, by, 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 by 25%. So we're very happy. And second half will be mind-blowingly fast growing. Uh, and, and I mean, it's only uh, the month of, of April where we had to do all this transformation, which, which went really slow down. What we found is um, the thing which slows you down sometimes is actually not what you would expect. So in our case, it was the bank's. The banks slowed us down because the banks did not process mortgage uh, applications. 
That's the thing. So we had everything done. We had the sales. We had the set. So now all these mortgage applications get processed, and now uh, it's picking up again. But what that shows is there is a potential for disruption. For, of um, uh, how should I say, slightly old-fashioned uh, 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 financial services industry in our markets. Yeah, it's such a heavily regulated environment, and I think, um, you know, manual also a lot of manual, a lot of manual tasks. Yeah, an expectation yeah. of, um, you know, wet signatures and things like that. It's just um, yes, yeah, yes, causes constraints. So to give you an example, to open up, I don't know whether you ever opened a bank account in Thailand, um, but I had to yes. sign a corporate bank account 150 times for one bank account. Yeah, that's um, it took next level. One and a half hours. Yeah, that's the next level. But it's it's changing, and that's why it's changing. That's why Alipay, WeChat Pay, all these other payment platforms, you know, which are coming into place, are really really changing because what they're literally doing is either building on a credit card infrastructure or on their own type of uh, network in allowing for payment yeah. flows. And I think that too, brings new challenges. Yeah. But it's it's faster. I mean, why? I, I remember six months ago, I I I forgot a payment to my daughter. Uh, like like eight months ago, she was still studying at that time, and she reminded me on a Sunday, and I was so embarrassed. I immediately processed it on a Sunday, and it was from it was sent from an Australian bank account to another Australian bank account, different bank, within five minutes on a Sunday. Yeah, the new OSCO payments, they're really great, aren't yes. they? Yeah, real-time yes, almost. Yes, but, but, but I think uh, it's that – so it's possible. Mm. It's like this, you know, Zoom was there before COVID. It's all possible, and why shouldn't it be possible? Because, I mean, in the end, if I owe you money, you want the money now. I want to give it to you now. Mm. I don't owe your money, by the way. Yeah, and I thought no, I know until girls. No, you don't. Uh, yeah, but I think too, like I don't think so. uh, the ASX did a lot of um, work on investing into their transformation strategy for blockchain, and they've spent a lot of money investing into that piece of technology. That um, there really will, I think, be a disruption in this real-time transacting um, processing type environment because, you know, even um, to purchase shares, you've still got the T plus two type like settlement periods and things like that. So once that um, is actually fully functional, there'll be real-time processing of um, share transactions and they're looking at rolling out that blockchain technology for other um, environments. I think there's a real opportunity there. Absolutely real opportunity there for property transactions, you know, the whole title transfer, uh, like everything, the application process. So there is a lot of opportunity there. And it comes back to the ultimate aim of disruption, which is really making things better and simpler, faster in the real world. Just conscious of getting you back to work on time, Georg. Just one question from me. Um, your Asian employees working from home, how have they coped? Because we obviously, with extended families and in the yes. Asian culture, uh, it's a bit more challenging, isn't it? Um, they've all coped actually quite uh, quite well. Um, I mean, uh, obviously, one thing definitely has come up that people are now, when they're looking for a new property or new, looking for uh, uh, a new office and so on, they're factoring those factors of working from home in. 
So in one of the companies we are working for, we are probably thinking, do we really need such a big office? Or maybe we need half the size of the office, and for the other half, people can work from home. And um, the same thing is when you look for a new property, um, then you think, okay, where in this property would I work from home? Where do I put my desk? Because what we have noticed is a lot of people had to work from the living room. A, the sofa is why it's comfortable for watching TV. It's really bad for your back and everything. And, you know, then they lie on the sofa in the call and so on. It's not the same. You can't <laughs> ride down. No, no, it's, 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 it's a real challenge. Then you have your kids running around and everything. Yep. It's difficult. It's really, really difficult. So it has changed uh, the whole property industry. So there's a new demand thing, a new thing, which is uh, working from home spaces. And I'm sure it will come more and more. How many home offices, real home offices are there? And I mean, a real home office, you need to be able to close the door. <laughs> yeah, dogs, cats, children. It, uh, the oh, level yes. of professionalism oh, yeah. is just out the window, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but like the dogs are hilarious. I mean, we have a, a, in, in two companies, we have a few dogs who regularly join the Zoom calls and uh, sometimes also invited them to be really lifted up and, and they take great interest and make valuable contributions. <laughs> No, that's good. Yeah. I think the I think the um the furry friends have been the real winners out of COVID, and I think they're going <laughs> to suffer <laughs> suffer dearly when their um, owners have to go back to um, an office oh, environment. Yes. And you know, maybe there's an opportunity for um, more uh, pet friendly workplaces too. Yes. I think. Oh, why not? I mean, I would be all for it because in the end, anything like. Uh, pet friendly and I mean this sounds now wrong but also finding ways where you like you know children uh, childcare facilities at work or other things it's it, it makes people uh, I mean nothing worse than when you're at work and you look at the clock and you think oh god I have to do a school pickup and uh, uh, there's so much stress and, and if there's a way how you can simplify or facilitate it everybody will be so much uh, happier and more productive Yes, definitely. So before we wrap up today, Jorg, is there sort of top three tips that you'd like to leave our listeners with for, um, I guess, to draw on your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, so the first one is is really when you want to build a new business and so on, start with the problem. Don't start with the technology. Don't build the world's best technology and then run around and try to find someone who uses it to solve a problem because that's one of the most common area where tech companies really, really fail because they're tech companies. They're not really uh, disruptive companies. So start with the problem. Number two is um, technology is, is not a question of, of, of really of age. So, so don't feel discouraged uh, by just operating a normal iPad or iPhone or whatever uh, tool. You're already doing far more than many other people so so play with it get on zoom start to use messenger platforms whatsapp uh, uh like like uh, uh wechat and so on just play with it a bit and you start to learn and you start to think also try to understand why they were really set up coming back to what was the original problem and and and, and so on read up there's a lot of good uh, literature out there uh, for people to understand and to 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 read up in, in this whole uh, area. And I mean, this is just yet another 
change. It's like some people call it the fourth industrial revolution. And in every industrial revolution, there were people who were saying, ah, this is horrible. We want to keep, uh, maintain the status quo. Life won't be the same. I mean, some people said, if you go with a train, you will die or get dizzy or sick because trains moved so fast when they came out, you know, like they moved 30 or 40 kilometers an hour. And, and, and people thought that's far too fast. That's nobody uh, can live with that. And now we are completely used to it. At the same time, always maintain a respect for, I mean, the humans in, in, in the whole process. Uh, so when you make decisions as a, as a, as a board and, and, and whatever, uh, I think it's really, really important that technology is being applied in an ethical way. So, I mean, uh, it's really uh, fundamental and proper value systems and so on don't go away. And the last bit is, uh, the last bit is, is, is really never underestimate other factors which make uh, a difference to people when they work somewhere than money. It's not just the money. It is about making a difference. It's about uh, additional benefits It's and so on. So think about beyond that. If you have to pay someone extra to stay in a not so pleasing job, it's not really the right thing. Some great tips there, Jörg. So thank you so much for joining us today and uh, thank you to our listeners for joining in as well. Thanks, Georg. Yeah, thanks, Deb. Thanks, Ainsley. This was really good. We look forward and, to catching uh, really up when you come it. back to Australia. If you guys let me in. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Uh, have a wonderful uh, week ahead. Thank you, too. It wasn't too bad for a Monday morning, was it? It was great. <laughs> Thanks, York. <laughs> That's all for today. Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at www.3wiseowls.com.au.